Welcome, everyone, to the Fandom Podcast Network special presentation of the Hair Metal Podcast. Hair Metal Podcast looks back at the thrash, glam, and pop metal bands, music, and events, and everything that heavily influenced the 80s and early 90s hair metal movement. We are proud to discuss the lifestyle, the music, and the nostalgia of 80s hair metal. And in this episode, I'm really excited because we're going to be discussing... Van Halen for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, their awesome 1991 album. And we're also going to be discussing the 2024 upcoming Sammy Hagar Van Halen tribute tour. And we're going to be discussing a little bit of uh, David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar. But you know, I can't do this alone. My name is Kevin. And uh, before we head to the uh, Hollywood Sunset Strip, hit up Gazzari's, Troubadour, Roxy Cat House, Whiskey A Go Go. Maybe we get hungry, need our drinks on at Rainbow Bar and Grill or Rock and Roll Denny's. I need my crew with me. And joining me is Mr. Michael Simmer. What's going on, buddy? Oh, wait, hold on, dude. You're, you're, you're muted there. <laughs> Sorry, Ken. There you go. <laughs> uh, doing well. Doing well. Up a little late last night uh, for the Kiss show, but we're here and uh, ready to rock. Uh, we're going to talk about that shortly. But first, we got to introduce someone who I know very well and is the reason why we're here right now, right here, right now. <laughs> Kyle would appreciate that. Kyle Wagner, he is the uh, he's my brother, by the way, one of my brother from another mother, one of my uh, favorite people in the world, my best friend and also co-founder of this fandom podcast network. Kyle, welcome. Thank you. I just have to say right now, youth is king. Right now is the appreciation of an album. Right now, this podcast is kicking ass in America. <laughs> okay, Kyle, I got to ask you. So, we're the reason why we're here talking about this album is because of you. You had wanted to uh, come and guest on the Hair Metal Podcast because, for those of you that don't know, Kyle and I uh, created this fandom podcast network, and we have many shows under its umbrella, so to speak. Because we're fans of a lot of things. We have Star Trek, Star Wars, Highlander, movie podcast, Doctor Who, you name it. We got we cover it all here. And of course, this hair metal podcast. And you're like, dude, I really want to talk about Van Halen's For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. Quickly, tell me why you want to talk about this. When this album came out in 91, I was kind of just, for some reason, this album just hit me. I was kind of, I was just, I was a so uh, sophomore going into junior year of high school. And just how this album hit and how, you know, it felt like it was kind of a bit of the dying days of hair metal in a way. The grunge movement was starting to percolate in and get, get more moving, moving into the mainstream culture. Hair metal, a lot of the bands had gone on breaks, whether to go into rehab, go into the hospital, the detox, or just <laughs> kind of not going on, on the road. And then here comes Van Halen 
with this, in my opinion, amazing album, one of the most powerful and impactful music videos we had seen in a very long time. And it was just, I think for Van Halen, it was one of their main apexes in, in the history of the band just in, they were everywhere because of this album. And I mean, it, it won multiple MTV music video awards for right now. It was just, and it just, it, it hit me like, you know, this could be the last at the time you're thinking because of how the music scene is changing. You're getting into hip hop, you're getting into rap, you're getting the grunge movement to come up. Could this be one of the last great hair metal albums? Interesting. Well said, Mike, I wanted to get your quick thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with a lot of that stuff. I, you know, when it came out, things were so much different for me musically. Um, you know, grunge hit, uh, thrash metal was sort of taking over um, because hair metal was dying and, you know, I was getting more into Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, a lot of the harder stuff because hair metal had sort of run its course. Uh, I was even sort of getting into some gangster rap, which was which was coming along. You know, NWA came out um, a little bit before that. So this sort of... It, it was it was sort of like the last I'm not gonna say the last hurrah that makes it a little sound a little bit a little bit too much, but um it it, it was a good album. I'm not, I'm not gonna say great. It was a good album, but looking back on it just like I did the last couple of weeks, there's some genuine amazing things going on in this album. Well which said. I didn't which I didn't see originally because of the time period it came out and and at the time it was just sort of okay, here's another Van Halen album, and it didn't hit as much as when you look at back at it now and say, whoa, there's there's some amazing things going on inside. That's a great point, Mike, and uh, we'll touch on that a little bit more. As I mentioned, too, at the top of the show, we're going to also be discussing uh, the Sammy Hagar upcoming tour, uh, the uh, Van Halen tribute tour, and there's some information about that. What looks like uh, the band Loverboy is going to be opening up for it. And it might be your last opportunity to really see a lot of these Van Halen songs being played by, well, what's left of the original members for, for a long time. And so we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit more coming up here. But uh, one of the things that I did want to talk about real quick is uh, what we talked about last episode, Mike, was that um, we had the 80s rock and metal bands that should have been bigger that was hair metal podcast episode 20 that was a lot of fun learned stuff about honeymoon suite i did not know about <laughs> <laughs> what kind of feedback did you get on your end on that yeah i mean a, a, a lot of family friends listened to it really enjoyed it um yeah the one of the feedbacks that i got that was very funny was a friend of mine said you've been studying for this podcast for about 40 years <laughs> and even even my wife before we did the podcast uh before we did it she said do you have notes down do you do research and i said no i didn't need to research this is things i've been i said you should know better than anybody else i i just i know did, did your wife go like finally you have a vessel to talk about yeah, all this finally, stuff you, <laughs> you're probably thinking finally i don't have to hear him talk directly to me about this stuff anymore well i want to give you props uh mike first of all that was a great show and i'm looking forward to having you back kyle kyle enjoyed it too there you go but <laughs> you came up with a great idea here for our next show uh and i think this is great we're going what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the year of 1989 and we're going to set this in a realistic time zone basically in a time era 
and we're going to draft like the NFL draft. We're going to draft our hair metal super group draft, and we're going to pick five band members. We're going to pick one singer, one bass player, two guitar players, and a drummer. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to pretend we are like a super, let's say a, a super manager like Doc McGee, and we have to put together a super group, pull these guys. We're going to record an album and go on tour. Maybe we're going to support some charity. Uh, but we're not going to be busted for uh, drugs and have to do a uh, charity concert in Russia. <laughs> so, Mike, I just want to say good job on that. I'm looking forward to talking about that. That's going to be fun. Thanks. It'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> All right, guys. Hair Metal Podcast. Here we go. Uh, Mike, you did something very hair metally, very rock and roll. Uh, and I, I'm a little jealous of you. You went to go see Kiss last night, literally last yeah. night of this recording. Please tell us about this show. So um, <clears throat> I live in Philadelphia, so getting to New York City is rather easy. <clears throat> so I, I wanted to go originally on the Saturday night, but ticket prices are ridiculously out of out, out of control. So <clears throat> what with my wife there, picture there, she rocked the makeup, um, couldn't be prouder of her the rock and the makeup it was incredible what with two co-workers of mine too who are hair metal and kiss fans and it was it was a really great night it I, w I will let on no spoilers because it's not really a spoiler they didn't do anything different than it was just a regular concert same set list that they usually do didn't change the set list at all no guests came out nothing really special it was just like a regular concert which is a great i mean a kiss concert did anyone open up for them yeah, <clears throat> Paul Stanley's kid opened up for him. <laughs> nice. Um, a band called Amber Wild. They they weren't bad. They weren't bad. I mean, they had some they had some fun songs. Um, we went to the Kiss Pop Up Store. Got my Kiss Pop Up Store T shirt. Very nice. And, and the Kiss Pop Up Store was about four blocks away from Madison Square Garden. We had to wait in line for probably about thirty five minutes to get in. A lot of memorabilia, a lot of costumes, a lot of boots. And then they had a merch uh, room downstairs and a lot of it was already sold out. There wow. was only about two shirts left. A lot of the high ticket items were already were, were available. We're talking three, $400 shirt jackets. And um, it was, it was just a really great show. But like I said, it was, it wasn't really anything special. If you wouldn't have known this was our second to last show, you would have never figured it out. But this is Madison Square Gardens. This is where this is. They're from New York. This is a big deal. There must have yeah. been some old school fans there. It must have felt like a homecoming for them. It did, and they and they commented on that. They they said this is. It, Paul told a couple stories about this is where we started uh, when we first played here, and I think seventy seven when they first played in Madison Square Garden. He was talking about that. Uh, it was it was you could you could sense in the crowd the excitement that people felt from it knowing that it was the second to the last show. And uh, it was it was very cool in that sense because people really felt – and everything that came out, people were grabbing. They, they were balloons that came out. People were fighting over the balloons because people really felt that it was the last night. The merch table was out of control. The line was, was just ridiculous. And uh, a friend of mine who went with us, he bought a bunch of stuff, huge Kiss fan. And he bought a bunch of stuff, and it was – we sat down in our seats. All of that stuff was already on eBay. Wow. It was already on eBay. <laughs> he bought a $50 poster, and 
and we saw it on eBay for 500 in about 15 minutes. Jeez, that's amazing. Um, already on what, there. what was the last song they played? They did rock and roll and I party every day. And then okay. as they were leaving, they did a bunch of, um, uh, you know, bows and, you know, running around. And that's when you kind of felt like it was something different. Um, it was something special because Paul and Gene, you could see them getting kind of emotional there ah. when they were, when they were doing their good nights and they were doing the bows in front of the, in front of the audience. That's when you felt that they, they looked a little different. They didn't, they weren't character. They, that's when you could see that they were, it was a little bit different. We got some armbands. Um, nice. Are those so, the ones that light up and synchronize, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah these ones that light up and people were, grabbing them and fighting over those because like wow. i said everything that said because it has the date on it right so everything yeah. everything and anything that had the date on it people were scarfing up like crazy i mean the, I when, when we were leaving the merch the merch stand was still <laughs> 200 it was like a kiss hunger games <laughs> yeah it really was it really was and uh and i think what i mean they, they had crazy merchandise jackets that were at the show jackets that were 300 there was a 300 dollar jacket um, like a satin jacket that was on eBay for eight hundred dollars in, in ten minutes. Wow! And we just Amazing. kept on, we just kept on, on on refreshing the eBay page, and just every time you refresh it, there was more stuff on it. Wow! <laughs> People recouping those tickets, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, but but, but a great show, super That's awesome. Yeah, uh, and the train back was stopped way too often. Uh, got home super late, but it felt like uh, it felt like 1989. Again. Well, I want to give you props, first of all, for making this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> because I was just like, I didn't realize you were going to the show. I thought you were like getting tickets or something. I didn't realize you're actually going to the show. And then when you all of a sudden I saw your social media, like, holy crap, he's at the show. So yeah. that was really yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't props know what, to you, man. That's awesome. I don't know what's going to happen tonight. I, you know, there was many people talking about it last night including this, this is as of this recording on uh december 2nd 2023 this is their last show ever yeah i mean that's i mean that's what they're saying i i i think it's 50 50 that it's going to be last I, I think what they're going to do is they're going to say this was our last tour right i think they're probably going to do one-offs here okay. and there they're, they're setting up for their run in the vegas spear yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, that's awesome. But it does it does look last night, and I've seen them a bunch of times. But last night it looked like it looked like Gene and Paul were done. Yeah, it, it really it really did. It looked like well, they were just done. I wanted to share. I don't know all the details yet, so I, I, I forgive me on this. Um, there's a good friend of mine who is um, he's a fellow Raider fan, and he's he uh, started the Atlanta Raider Booster Club. And his name is Clint, but he's a huge Kiss fan. And he's part of some charity. And he and his son got to ride in Kiss's private jet, got to meet Doc oh, McGee, yeah. and then go to the show and have front rows, uh, uh, standing, I guess, standing room, whatever. Got to meet them backstage got pictures. It was so funny. He was posting all these pictures and the video that they took and on the private jet. And when you said they looked like they were done, when I saw, when I saw Gene Simmons sitting in the, in the a picture of him sitting in the, uh, the private jet, he looked like he was done. Yeah. Uh, 
But I got more excited. They got a picture of Doc McGee. I just, I would love to pick Doc's brain. But anyway, I just, I had yeah, to show Doc, real quick. Doc was there when they had, when they come out on stage, they, they show a video of them coming from their dressing rooms onto the stage. That's great. That's um, great. And they show that uh, one of the things that really blew me away is there was <clears throat> between the front row and the stage, it had to be not kidding you 20 yards between the stage and the front row. And then there was sort of like a pit there with only about, 10 people on each side of the stage. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that was, he was there, you know, the people who did the private jet thing. Yeah. 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 I think he, this was for the Atlanta show. Cause uh, maybe it was, I can't remember. It was one of the other shows recently that uh, they right. did before this one. But anyway, uh, thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. I got, a, I got a chance to see kiss once when they reunited with uh, um, uh, everyone in the makeup. And I got to say that was in the early nineties. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. I think that was like 94, 94. Yeah. I got to see that show. So I was happy that, that I did get to see that. And then uh, I did see them actually, no, I saw them twice. One um, uh, without the makeup earlier. So um, that, that was a lot of fun. I'm glad. Yeah, it was I, fun fun. I mean, they put on an amazing show. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it really is an amazing show. Fireworks, fire. I mean, Good. it's crazy. I mean, it, it was, it was well worth it. Awesome. All right, guys. Here we are. We are going to be talking about, for unlawful carnal knowledge, Van Halen's 1991 uh, album. And then also we're going to be discussing the upcoming tour and more thoughts on that. But, guys, I have to ask you, because it is a hot-button topic among fans, who is a better Van Halen lead singer, David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar? Now, Kyle, we do uh, a fandom podcast network uh fandom discussions all around the genres, Star Trek, Star Wars, some hot button topics there. Don't know if you know this, but hair metal and music also has um, very opinionated opinions and can get pretty nasty about certain topics. We're not going to do that here though, but I do want to get your thoughts on this because I found this article and uh, it's by Screen Rant, which I'm not a huge fan of, but this guy did bring up some, some interesting stuff that I did want to, uh, put to the table with you guys is both though both legendary in their own right who is remembered as the best front man for the hard rock outfit van halen david lee roth or sammy hagar fans have debated this for years to decide who's the better rock star between the two and here are some pointers and he goes back and forth between each one one david lee roth was better he was the og member sammy hagar was better he was more melodic Hagar's stint as a vocalist made the fans of the band realize how a band is supposed to sound in terms of an ensemble set. He essentially made the band sound like a team effort. This happened mainly because of his dexterity as a singer, his rhythm first approach as a, as a crucial since it required the band members to be more involved in the sound. The fact that he he prioritized melody over volume or antics was essentially that warmed fans up to him. David Lee Roth was better. His work with the debut album, Way iconic debut album there. You can't you can't uh, ignore that. Sammy Hagar was better, a more spontaneous performer. David Lee Roth was better, had a more astute vision about the band. Sammy Hagar was better. His methods were designed to complement the band's sound. David Lee Roth was better. He was a better showman. Sammy Hagar was better. He was multifaceted. Remember. He had a bu- years of his own concert experience. He could play guitar and sing. David Lee Roth was better. He was cult. 
It's important to remember it was Roth's influence that made the way for the next generation of rock stars like Vince Neil, Motley Crue, and early Bon Jovi. Roth's mix of punk-inspired energy, dynamic vocals, and incredible looks made him an instant success in the 70s. He became one of the most successful lead singers, so much that so many fans believe that if he left the band, Roth was a bigger name than Van Halen since he had a loyal fan base. Sammy Hagar was better. He was a timely addition to Van Halen. So, guys, I want to get your thoughts. Kyle, I'm going to start with you. I know you're not a hair metal expert, but you've been around a long time to know the difference between these two guys. And I want to get your thoughts because Mike and I, we dive deep into this stuff. You not so much, but as a person on the outside watching this, what are your thoughts? So... When it comes to Van Halen, uh, I'm of a two mind sense because I've always the David Lee Roth era of Van Halen to me is more when I listened through, got introduced to Van Halen through my sister, my half sister. She was she was a fan, so when I was introduced, it was David Lee Roth, and then I think Van Halen became kind of my own. Like I really love Van Halen with Sammy there, and going back and experiencing this, I think the biggest thing with this debate is what each guy, which each person did for the band. I think David Lee Roth was the right front man to start the band because of his showmanship, his antics. He, he, he isn't a great songwriter mu musician in his own right. But I think when he, the egos at that point with David Lee Roth and Van Halen were just, it became a tube thing. It was inevitable because David Lee Roth wanted to be his own star. When Sammy comes in, I think Van Halen is a better overall band because Sammy lets everybody shine. I think we get the best of Eddie Van Halen during the Sammy Hagar years. I think interesting. You're not so alone I think, in that. Yeah. I, I think, but I, I think overall as a band, they are a better band with Sammy Hagar. Um, but I think as far as becoming the legends of Van Halen, it's David Lee Roth. Mike, got to get your thoughts on this. I don't know if we've actually discussed this, you and I, so this will be the first time me hearing your opinion on this. What is your take? <clears throat> yeah, I agree with some things on Kyle. Um, I think that Dave left at the right time. I think that if if they would have continued, Van Halen would have probably imploded and probably never – I think he just left at the right time. And, and Sammy coming along at the right time as well. I think it's two different bands. I think it's – it's sort of comparing apples and oranges. It literally is two different bands. Dave is the way better front man. I've always, always said way better showman, way better front man. Sammy was, was a guitar player as well. So he was a little bit more tied down when he was, when he was on stage, uh, even for the picture there, you could see that Dave was, uh, I'll be honest with you. He was a horrible lyricist. I don't know who was writing the lyrics, but some of the lyrics are ridiculous of those first couple albums. Sammy was a much more gifted lyricist. So he was just what they needed at that time. If you held a gun to my head, I would say Dave is better, uh, but not by a lot. It's just, it's just two different things. It, it really is. I mean, yeah, the, the first Van Halen album is iconic, is amazing. It's what every guitar player ever aspired to be but oh you eight one two and fifty one fifty are amazing albums i mean just just really good albums there were some misses too with dave i mean you listen to some songs on 1984 and they're, they're head scratchers 
and the band you could you could tell in 1984 the band was kind of imploding and since Dave is so hard to get along with obviously I think he needed to go right he, right. he needed he needed to go and they needed to go in a different direction and that was never going to happen if Dave was still in the band it was, Kyle, it was so I want to add into that too because I think Sam as far as a front man and performer you right um David is spectacular but I think Sammy might have actually been the better vocalist because and I know we'll talk about it a little later in this episode on the right here right now tour they did do a few of David's songs and I, I'll be I'll be the first one to say I think especially on dreams in the on that particular album Sammy performs it and I think it's the best it's a much better performance oh Sammy Sammy's a better singer no, yeah. no doubt Sammy's a much better singer. Dave was just a complete showman, um, not a great singer. Sammy was just a better musician, better singer, better better lyricist. But it's just so hard to overcome those first couple Van Halen albums. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're iconic. I mean. Yeah, it, it just really is. So when you're comparing the two, it's it's so tough on Sammy. And Sammy's a class act from everything that I've I've read and seen about him. Just a great guy. Whereas Dave is just so far out there. <laughs> I, when, you, when you think about it, um, I always, you know, David Lee Roth is the Antonio Brown of, of Van Halen. That's right? a good comparison. <laughs> <laughs> so, that is a football reference, yeah. sports ball reference for those of you that don't know, but, but those when, of you know, when, <laughs> when Antonio Brown was on the Steelers, uh, you know, he, he wasn't that bad. But then when he left the Steelers, you're thinking, oh, my God, how did the Steelers ever put up with him? He's, you know, he's yeah. got so many issues. And then when you look back and you think, wow, Van Halen lasted a lot longer than they should have with yeah. Dave because he was just so far out there. And that's so them all back together. That's a great point. And uh, I, uh, I wanted to chime in here because uh, I've been I've heard all of the. Uh, back and forth here and both you guys have made great points and I, this is a discussion i've actually had with my wife erin for a while too because she's more of a sammy hagar era fan but she uh does appreciate and like uh what came before with uh, david lee roth and i can just say this why not be able to like them both if you have to ask who is the better front man of course back in the um uh david lee roth days he kind of basically epitomized that he showed you what a front man should be basically but I think that for me personally, they're like you said, Mike, it's uh, it's almost like two different bands in a way. And that's not a bad thing. It's just bands evolve if they want to kind of stay relevant. You know, Madonna has been able to do that back in the 80s through the 90s and early 2000s. Artists need to uh, evolve and change and, and come up with new sounds. And one thing I like about Sammy Hagar is I was actually a fan of Sammy Hagar before he joined the band. I, I remember Montrose. I remember his his. Um, uh, you know, solo stuff. I remember, uh, I remember hearing heavy metal on the, uh, the heavy metal soundtrack. Uh, and, and I was like, who is this guy? And, and so I was always a fan of, of Hagar. When he joined the band, I was like, this could be really good. And I was 5150 did not disappoint. That is a great album. And I almost feel like, as we touched on earlier, that Sammy kind of, I think, brought the band made it into more of a band and made brought the best out of everything and two he also had the experience of business behind uh behind uh the music as well and and a lot of musical influence that i think he brought into the band and you hear 
a lot of really cool stuff that Eddie Van Halen had never done before. He got it. He got different sound. And I even noticed it in the bass playing with Michael Anthony, uh, the drums too, uh, with Alex. I just felt like that he really brought it together as a band and made it work and brought the best out of them. And with his experience, I thought that really showcased in it. And I liked them both for, for separate reasons. If you have to ask me which one I liked more, I really can't say that because I liked them for both themselves in their eras at their time. And I love the fact that I can go back and listen to how, how raw that first Van Halen album was. And, you know, when I make the point that he, that he, as in Sammy Hagar, maybe made Eddie Van Halen a better musician, you go, well, did you not listen to the first album of Van Halen, Kevin? How can you do better than that? Well, he did, in my opinion. He did a lot of really great musical things with his guitar, his singing, his, um, his piano playing, the melodies. There's a lot in there in the um, Sammy Hagar era that I felt that really uh, was a, a beneficial to the overall band. So, I think yeah, that, Kyle, um, go ahead, Kyle. I have, I feel like we're missing out on some kind of extreme air of Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not talking about Gary Show. Not that he was bad or anything, but you know, we don't have enough uh, in, you know, we don't have enough Van Halen with Gary Schroen. So <laughs> it's okay, Kevin. You can say it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> think, you know, what we talked about, what you talked about, Kevin, is is, is pointed because. I think Eddie needed Sammy, right? Yeah. I think he needed yeah. him at that point. Yeah. I think Dave wasn't wasn't a good enough musician to push Eddie. Um, I, I think that Sammy pushed Eddie for for all the right reasons, and Eddie needed that at that point because I don't think they were ever going to make a Van Halen one ever again. I mean, how, how could you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I also think it really comes down to this and, and learning about Kyle and how old he was when, when uh, for a lawful carnal knowledge came out, it really comes down to your age too. Right. Yeah. So, so if you grew up, you know, with those, with, you know, hot for teacher and I was 14 when 1984 came out. Right. So for me, it was all about Dave. And when Sammy came along, I, I had already been deep diving into Van Halen for years, but if you were coming of age when that when Sammy was there, um, for instance, my my brother in law is a is a big Sammy supporter, but he's younger than me. He's like yeah. five years younger. He's like five years younger. Yeah. Than me. he was There's, exposed. It really comes down yeah. to when you were there, exposed to Van Halen. Yeah, there is definitely an age factor, and what's and that's actually a good thing, Mike. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's nice that there's a younger generation that found out about the Sammy Hagar era because that was their Van Halen. They can always just go back and, and listen to the older stuff. But, you know, I like that there is an age thing here. And I think that that is uh, one of the main topics of this, but I had to bring that up since we're talking about a Sammy Hagar uh, album with Van Halen here with uh, for unlawful carnal knowledge. And with that said, guys, let's go ahead and let's get into that right now. <laughs> Van Halen for unlawful carnal knowledge. I wonder what that stands for. <laughs> Before we get into discussion, guys, I got a couple of little things I found out on uh, iHeart.com by David Basner. He actually came out with this article last year. Does Van Halen's for unlawful carnal knowledge 14 things you might not know? And 
At the time, it was the 32nd anniversary. Well, this year, it is the 33rd anniversary release of Van Halen's ninth album for Unlawful Chronology. To celebrate the effort, here are 14 things you might not know about it. The album came out when censorship was a hot-button issue, and Sammy Hagar was trying to push the envelope. He literally wanted to call the album F-U-C-K, but pulled back. Hagar's friend, boxer Ray Boom Boom Mancini, told him that the F-word is an, actually an acronym for for unlawful carnal knowledge, though it isn't. The bands decided it would be the name of the record. The phrase for unlawful carnal knowledge was first used by the band Coven, the name of the song of their 1969 album, Witchcraft Destroys Minds and Reaps Souls. Number four, the band worked on this album for 13 months, completing it in less than two months before it hit shelves. And I didn't know this, guys. Six singles came off the For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge album. I knew about three of them. Pound Cake, Right Now, Run Around, Top of the World, Man on a Mission, and The Dream is Over. Number six, to create the intro for the opening track, Pound Cake, Eddie Van Halen held a battery-operated power drill up to the pickups of this guitar. Well, if you saw Pound Cake, you know that we all knew that. <laughs> Pound Cake was the first single off the album. It went to number one on the rock charts. That was number seven. And number eight, you might recognize the riff in the top of Top of the World because it was the first part of the intro of the song, Jump. Top of the World is actually played live after Jump for that reason. Number nine, Top of the World spent four non-consecutive weeks on top of the rock chart. It was the only single from the album to originally make it to the top 100, peaking at number 27. Right Now was re-released in 92 and peaked at number 55 on the Hot 100. Number 10, Toto's Steve Luke Lukather provided backing vocals for Top of the World. 11, the instrumental track 316 is an homage to Eddie's son Wolfgang, who was born on 316 or March 16th. 12, Sammy thinks right now has the best lyrics he has ever wrote for a Van Halen song. He said that he was tired of penning cheap sex songs and wanted to get serious and write something about world issues. 13, in 1992 and 93, Crystal Pepsi commercials featured right now. Eddie allowed it because he knew if he didn't, the company would just hire studio musicians to cover it. And number 14, for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, debuted at number one on the charts and stayed there for three weeks. Mike, did any of these jump out at you or surprise you? No, I, I mean, I remember the Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> remember that advertising. Um, now, right here, right now was 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 huge. Um, all those things, that, none of them really surprised me. Um, Eddie was a Eddie was a was a strange person. When you read a lot of stuff about him, he had some. I mean, he was an amazing, pretty human being, but he had some he had some odd uh, opinions about things. I mean, I can't believe that he thought that they would just play the song with studio musicians. I mean, who who? I mean, you just can't do that. You can't just take a song and say, "Oh, this is our advertisement." Um, yeah. see hearing that they, that they did it in two months is, is pretty amazing as well. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you hear the intricacies of, of the musicianship on this album, two months is, it doesn't seem like, it, it seems like one song would be two months. Instead of Kyle, Kyle uh, your thoughts on the 14 things you may not have known. I, I think a lot of those for people who were fans of Van Halen at the time are pretty well known. And 
but I think for people who have just, you know, they just get the album and listen to it and that's it. But this, I really think to the other aspect with this album that brings up this is that we were just hitting a time where we were really starting to get into the behind the music of the bands and, and a lot of where MTV was report was getting more into the reality of things. We, real world had been out now and MTV was focusing a lot more on that. And I think because Van Halen during this time, because of the right here, right now music video and crystal Pepsi advertising and everything that was going circling around them, everybody was taking a look under the hood with, with Van Halen at the, at this point, because they were, they were predominant. They were, they were everywhere in 91 and 92 with this. And I think, there's a more information about this album that's come out than probably any of their other albums. That's a good point, Kyle. And uh, I was thinking too, when I was reading these things is I remember the crystal Pepsi thing. And I, I think, I think uh, SNL did a, a funny skit on that with uh, some weird liquid Pepsi thing. I thought it was kind of funny. I can't remember all the details, but that was, a. I remember that song being everywhere. And, um, you know, Pound Cake, as soon as Pound Cake was released, though, I was in. I remember the video. I remember uh, him uh, um, using the um, uh, the drill. I just thought that was really cool. And uh, it just had, there was something with the drums and the bass. And it. I, the, I, I'm sure Eddie was tuned down to the drop D. It was just like a really hard kind of crunchy sound. But then you bring on... Um, Sammy's vocals and it just it just it just sounded great right out of the bat. I, I ended up buying it right away, <laughs> just like everyone else did. Uh, so for unlawful carnal knowledge, often abbreviated as F-U-C-K, the top three singles, as we know, is Pound Cape, Pound Cake, that was released in June of 91. Top of the World was released in September of 1991, and right now uh, is released in 1990, February of 92. One of the things I remember now of Top of the World, because guys, remember, this is the beginning of the Gulf War when they were going on tour. There was uh, a lot of kind of patriotism going on as well. But I remember this was a popular song with like um, Air Force pilots. This was uh, something that they kind of latched onto. And it's it, what's interesting, too, is like it's the last song on the album. And I uh, I it's. I keep going back between that one and pound cake, but we'll talk about that a little bit more, but uh, it was released. The album was released on June 17th, 1991 on Warner brothers uh, records. It was the third to feature vocalist, Sammy Hagar debuted at number one on the billboard 200 album. The mar the album marked a record in the band's history, seeing seven of its 11 tracks released as, as singles. But more importantly, the album marked the first time the band had Ted Templeton working as a producer capacity since 1984 when David Lee Roth was a singer. He had, however, assisted in determining the track sequence for the 1986 effort 5150. The title of the album uh, was an idea by Sammy Hagar, who wanted to push the issue of censorship. Uh, I want to kind of get your guys' take on that. Do you think it was a clever way? Because I didn't really get the censorship thing right away it wasn't until later michael wanted to get your thoughts on the censorship i get it this is a lot of this was going on we had the warning labels on uh records from the early 80s thank you tipper gore uh and there was a lot of censorship going on i didn't catch that at first i just thought it was a clever way to use the f word <laughs> yeah I, I thought it was too and, and it doesn't i don't think it has a parental advisory sticker on it either no, no they it didn't doesn't. 
Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, that, that, that whole censorship thing is, you know, we cover it in my class a lot and the kids are, uh, the students of today or, or, it makes them scratch your heads about what exactly the problem was. It was a ridiculous time. I, I just don't know if Van Halen should have been the ones carrying the tor- torch against censorship uh, because they really were never censored. I don't think so. I'm not sure about that. I, I know when the, when the, when, when the album came out, I got the reference right away for the F U C K. I, I got it right away. Right. Right. As, as I think most people did, but I remember thinking back then, which you talked about earlier, I remember thinking back then, that's not really what that means. I don't think for unlawful carnal knowledge is actually the, the, the origin story of that word. And I remember thinking it then, and it turns out it wasn't. And, you know, of course, this is the days before the internet where Sammy couldn't go on Google and find out if Ray Boo Boo Mancini was correct. But I, I just, I always thought it was kind of odd that Van Halen was carrying the torch for the censorship when it should have been somebody else. Yeah, that's a good point. But it, it was nice that they did in a in a uh, you know kind of under the radar sort of speak because not everyone got it right away. But I liked I liked the effort. I thought it was good. And the picture that I have up here, of course, is uh, Eddie Van Halen using the uh, the famous uh, uh, Eddie Van Halen painted drill for that sound that he got out of that, which I thought was really cool. And I right. did want to I want to ask you about this, Mike. You've played guitar, so you know. I want to ask you about this. I want to mention one little blip that I found here about Eddie's sound and what he was using. It says, this was the first album that Eddie recorded with his trademark Marshall super lead serving as the primary amplifier. This is for us music nerds. The Marshall was fading. So he went to his 1989 um, Soldano SLL 100 to record the album primarily primarily through the Marshall was used sparingly a prototype for what would become the PV 5150 series of the custom amplifiers was also used. PV's release of the 5150 series coincided with the release of the album. And Mike, was this also the first tour where we really started seeing Eddie Van Halen's PV custom guitars that he would now use throughout yeah. the rest of the Van Halen era? Yeah. He, that's when uh, the, the Frankenstrat sort of disappeared. Um, he has the Franken drill there, but but that's when the Frankenstrat sort of went away. Yeah, and he, started, he started using a lot of different guitars. Eddie was was known for tinkering with everything, right? Every and and taking apart guitars and putting them back together, and and taking this out and putting that in. And he was just he was famous for that. And I don't know, you know, when he started playing these and went away from the Frankenstrat. I don't know if he stopped tinkering with things and and stopped focusing so much on his sound and more on the musicianship because you can definitely tell that difference between those early albums and this era about how he is a much better musician in these, in these eras and in this era than he was previous. That's so, a great that's a great point cuz I remember when he first started playing these exclusively I thought they were kind of weird looking. <laughs> And it was hard for me to get accustomed to it. And then as I kept seeing it and I saw him play him live and I was going, man, I, I'd love to have one of those. And of course he, he would have his uh, many different versions that he would play. And of was, course he had, what's that? It was, it was just weird to see him because when you saw him 
every time before this, he had that Frankenstrat. Yeah, yeah. To see him with this, it was like, whoa, what? That doesn't. But he did have his custom painted version of the PVs here, and obviously he had a really good uh, relationship with PV. And uh, I I loved seeing these eventually. And I think when I see this guitar, you know, it's Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. You know, and outside of course his Frankenstrats and all those those versions. But uh, he was always tinkering. There's a there's a great picture. Yeah. of of him doing that in the uh recently before he died he's in the garage drilling on something and changing something so yeah i can only, I can only equate it to a, a a newborn baby seeing their freshly shaved dad right they, right they their dad right but but it looks different because they shaved off their beard so when you saw eddie with that new guitar you were thinking well that's eddie but what is with this new guitar Right, right. <laughs> uh, the critical reception. Rolling Stone's John Millward rated the album two out of five stars, explaining that it is so stuffed with zigzagging guitars and blustery vocals that it almost forgets to rock. Eddie Van Halen was probably has more guitars than teeth, upends such a tackle box of hooks that they only start to surface after repeating listens, listening. And then Gina Arnold of Entertainment Weekly gave the album a C and said it would be nice to believe that the acronym formed by the title of Van Halen's new top charting album was intended as a covert blow against censorship in America. In the Consumer Guide, Robert Gestau gave the album a dud rating and retrospectively review in all music Stephen Thomas was mixed. He stated the title indicates the true nature for unlawful carnal knowledge. Backing away from the diversity of OU812, the band turns in some of the most basic, straightforward rock and roll music. He concluded that even though the band continued to be tight and professional, the songwriting is by large undistinguished, with the anthem right now standing out as the most memorable song of the batch, mainly because of this incessant chorus. I got to ask you about this, Mike. Mm. I don't remember bad reviews coming out. I didn't pay a lot of attention to the uh, the trades at the time because, you know, back in the pre-internet days, you would pick up and read these in actual magazines and newspapers. I I thought it had a pretty good overall fan reception anyway. Do you remember these kind of like so-so reviews? Yeah, I, I, I don't. Uh, although, you know, it, it's it is a bit of a departure. It's a little more poppy than their previous albums. So I think maybe this is when people started to realize, okay, this isn't really Dave Van Halen anymore. This is a brand new band. You know, when 5150 came out, people were thinking, okay, let's give this a try. Let's give it a whirl. It was really good. OU812 was sort of that middle ground. And then when this album came out, everyone's like, okay, it's a completely different band. Right. And I think that, I think that people didn't take well to it at first looking back on it it's a it's a great album but i think at first people were like this is this is way too new and and, and this is when people really had to come to grips with the fact that sammy was in the band and 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 they're moving forward with sammy in the Dave year is completely over it, it's when people started to realize that that this is where what it's going to be from here on in and i think right. that people i think that people had a tough time with that i think people still were saying you know with 51, 15, oh, you had one, two. People were like, oh, they'll get back with Dave. They'll get back with Dave. These are just one-offs. But by the time this album came out, people were realizing Dave's never coming back. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's an excellent point. I remember there was talk of fans going, nah, Dave's going to come back. Dave's going to come back because his solo effort kind of fizzled out for a while there. 
And yeah, that that's an excellent point. I, I hadn't thought about that. Kyle. I, I sorry about that. I had a little work issue. I had to step out, but I caught in on Mike's point here. Um, nobody remember people don't remember how much the Van Halen brothers could hold a grudge. <laughs> especially yeah. Alex. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it true. was toxic between them and Dave. And it was just not going to happen. And then for this album to have six singles released and have, I mean, I think probably the biggest time for Van Halen to be part of the actual pop culture zeitgeist at the time. They were, they had no, they had no reason to bring David Lee Roth back at that right. point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a good point, Kyle. And one of the things that I, I wanted to bring up too, when you talked about toxic, I remember recently watching an interview with um, Sammy about the reason why things got bad between him and the band and I think it might have been uh, on um, the Stern show. And he said, basically, what happened was, is that he was kind of leading the band. He was making a lot of the, the choices of where the band was going to go, where they were going to tour. He had so much input on uh, the brothers. And it wasn't a bad thing at all, because you see how successful that it was. So and plus he had years of experience on tour and promotion and songwriting and melodies. Sammy was uh, one of the most important people in this band at the time. But when the Van Halen brothers brought in a new manager, the manager started saying, why are you letting this guy make all the decisions? This is your band. You're the Van Halens. You're Van Halen. And that's when the trouble started because they started that. That's when um, things started to go bad between those guys. Uh, and so then, of course, as you said, Kyle, that might lead to, uh, you know, Alex and, and uh, Eddie going, you know, yeah, maybe they're right. I don't know if there was a money issue. They seem to all share that equally. But uh, at least uh, Sammy was able to stay friends with uh, Michael Anthony uh, going forward and such. But I thought, guys, that we would get into the track listing here. And of course, I did want to share this cool picture here of one of the early uh, um, flyers of Van Halen on tour here. I thought that was kind of cool, but let's get into the track listings here. Uh, so all of the tracks are written by Eddie Van Halen, Michael Anthony, Sammy Hagar, and Alex Van Halen. And at number one, first track is pound cake followed by two judgment day, three spanked four Runaround, five pleasure dome, six in and out seven man on a mission, eight. The dream is over. Nine right now, 10, 316, the instrumental, and 11, top of the world, total running time of 52 minutes and six seconds. Kyle, I want to start with you. This album, we're doing this because of you, man, and this is a great choice for a podcast. Uh, tell me about uh, your favorite tracks on here. Any comments on the track? I th there, There's about five for me really standout uh, tracks on here. Obviously, Pound Cake, what a way, what a way to start an album. Yeah. Great introductory song. You come in, you hear that sound of that drill firing up and everything. It's an amazing song. I'm a fan of Runaround. Um, I think Man on a Mission is actually really good. Obviously, right now, Top of the World is... If if, if you ever needed just a song to fire you up, Top of the World, I think, is, is one of those. And I'm also a big fan of 316. I think it's just a great instrumental piece. And... It just it just it just takes you to a different place, but there's really truly not what I call a horrible song on this album, in my opinion. 
there's some that are definitely better than others, but I mean, I think throughout it, there's a sh- at least every other song on here is a pretty strong song in one way or the other. Gotcha. What about you, Mike? I think the standout track as always for me was uh, the top of the world. I mean, it's a, it's a great sing along song, upbeat, complete. I mean, would Van Halen have ever written a song like that with Dave? No, they never would have. Right. Pound cake is a rocker. Although supposedly Eddie Van Halen stole the drill bit off of, um, Paul Gilbert, Paul Gilbert. Yeah. (laughs) So, but Hey, listen, it's Eddie Van Halen. I'm sure Paul Gilbert was like, I don't care. Um, (laughs) So, uh, but pound cake is a great song. Um, but really for me, it came down to top of the world. Just a, just a, a great song that you hear now. And I always said that Van Halen is a, they're a summer band, right? You, you don't, mm-hmm. don't listen to Van Halen in the winter. You listen to Van Halen in the summer with the sunroof down and the windows down crank. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's a song that you would, that you would do that with. Um, it's just that song to me was was everything on this album. I think everything great songs, but I think everything is secondary to that song. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, for the longest time for me, Pound Cake was my favorite off this one. I, I love the video. I love the sound that uh, Eddie gets in that and the combination, of course, of using the drill. It's a gimmick, but I think he made it work. It wasn't just there to do it, but the 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 I'm, I know there's got to be a drop tuning on on that thing because the way that that sounds and with uh, Alex's drumming and Michael's bass, it's just like mm, it's just a great driving song, and I love the I love the melody and the notes that Sammy hits in that song. The uh, but it's competing right now for Top of the World for my favorite song. I've been listening to Top of the World a lot lately ever since I've been obviously waiting to do this podcast, but this has been. I still have a car that has a CD player, if that tells you things. <laughs> and I love the fact that I can pop this in. I've, and uh, I, I've been listening to Top of the World so much right now. That might might eclipse my favorite on the album right now. Uh, Judgment Day is a great song, too, as well. Uh, right now, man, I love the way that that song starts out, guys. And what's mm-hmm. cool about it is that I think advertising took advantage of that because I think it's like a good minute before the lyrics kick in. Uh, kind of like how Metallica will start a song and they don't start singing until a minute or two minutes in, you know, back in, back in the older days. And I love that they did make a commercial song that wasn't, you know, too hard, too soft, but I love the fact that he did lyrically go places with it. And, and, I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you right now. I am not a fan of political bands. I'm not, I don't want politics in my music. I try to stay away from politics. And so if you're going to throw a bunch of politics, uh, anti this, anti that, I'm not going to listen to you. So, uh, I like though, that he was able to still address some stuff that we do need to know about. Like when Billy Joel started, we didn't start the fire, you know, that type of thing. That was cool, you know, but it wasn't like, you know, he did it with everything else. I just think overall, this might be the pinnacle of, I don't know, 5150 is really good, guys. I got to ask you. Oh, Kyle, did you have a quick question? Or quick well, since we were talking about right now, because I think the other thing you have to tie into that is the right now music video. Yes. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Because that music video 
was absolutely huge. And people were raving about that music video for the whole year. It won the MTV Music Video Awards that year. And that that video, in a way, was one another video we just talked about, Kevin, on our Time Warp show. We were talking about Thriller in 1983, how it changed music videos. I think in right here, right now, the video for that actually changed a lot of things and how certain videos were done too, because you talk about political, they had messages within that video, but they did it in a way that it wasn't hammering you necessarily over the head with a political message. You enjoyed the song and you were just so amazed by this video they created and all the different things and that they incorporated within this video, whether it was some political thoughts, their own personal thoughts um, yeah. and different things. And it was so just amazingly well done. And I, 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 I for my opinion, I think it's Van Halen's best video ever. Yeah, well, I mean, they're they're hardly even in it, are they? I mean, yeah, I don't I don't even know if they're they're in it at all. I'm trying to think it back, and I should have. There, there's a couple of scenes where they're in it because there's a scene where they chose the four of them, and then it kind of shines on Michael Anthony because he's it says Michael right now. Michael's thinking about a solo project. Right, right, yeah, yeah. But is there is there a like a performance video performance part of them performing? No, yeah. not in that video. Yeah. Not none at yeah. all. Yeah. It's yeah. just, uh, I think there's li the live videos came out, of course, the concert videos and stuff like that. But yeah, it it definitely was uh, an important. It, I, I think it was an important video at the time. They were able to, just like Hagar's um, addition to the band was perfect at the time, in my opinion. And that song just hit a chord, and is you still hear it all the time. It's net. It's one of Sammy Hagar's. Uh, Van Halen songs that you hear probably most of, to be honest with you. You, you know, uh, when you hear it a lot is at sporting events. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, so yeah. You know, when, they when they'd be introducing the team, it was yeah. like the lights go out, the song plays, they introduce <laughs> the band or introduce the team. It was, it was, it was big with that. It was, it was huge with that for a long time. I remember going to Penguin Games in Pittsburgh and that was their song for a while. Uh, I did want to let you guys know that we are going to read some comments from our hair metal Facebook group because we had some members uh, share their thoughts on that. But before we do that, though, Kyle, you kind of touched on it earlier. This album won some awards. Uh, it won a Grammy Award for 1991 Lawful Carnal Knowledge for Best Hard Rock Performance. MTV Music Awards, 1999 winner Video of the Year, Van Halen Right Now. Uh, and it went uh, multi-platinum as well. Uh, yeah, it, it th this definitely won some awards. The, the picture that I had of the band, I believe that is an American Music Awards uh, award there, but that might have been a little bit later maybe, or maybe OU812, I can't remember. But anyway, it won some awards. Kyle? Um, well, and this is also a time when winning that MTV Video Music Award Video of the Year still really meant a lot. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. It, it uh, that was the biggest award. And uh, I thought that was a huge accomplishment acceptance of this era as well. Brand new fans coming into the band. Uh, Mike, what were your thoughts on these awards? Do you remember that this? It, it, that put it perfectly. When 92 video of the year, that was, that was, that was big. I mean, if you held a gun to my head, could I even tell you what the video of the year was last year? <laughs> or the last five years, and 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 I I'm I'm exposed to a lot of new music just for my students, right? 
So um, they'll tell me, you know, check this out, check that out. And I will, but I can't remember any of the last five video of the year, even, even a nominee, let alone, let alone the, the winner. I, I, right. I just thought that they're still doing the MTV Video Music Awards, which is crazy to me. Um, <laughs> so, but back then, uh, it, it was a it was a big deal. I don't. I mean, you know, the, the the shame of it is that should have never been nominated for hard rock performance. Why wasn't it just nominated for best album? Yeah, I, yeah. And that yeah. that so infuriates me that yeah. somebody, that somebody they have to put them into a category, um, yet. Everybody else can be in nine different categories of the Grammys. But I know, any, right? <laughs> anything even remotely rock and roll has to be pigeonholed into either metal or hard rock, and that's it. That you can't you can't win two of them. And yet, you know, Beyonce's winning nine Grammys over nine different genre categories, right? And I, I never could understand that. There's no reason that that album should have been just. Yeah. in the best hard rock performance. Yeah, I agree. It was a huge hit, but you know, it's we've been, you know, you could also get into the rabbit hole, which I don't want to do right now, of the, the rock and roll hall of fame. So yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> exactly we'll get me started. That podcast will yeah. be 10 hours long. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now before we get into the tour and the promotion of this, I did want to give some love to the Hair Metal uh, Podcast Facebook group that we have. And we had got a lot of great fans of the genre there. And I put a post on their Facebook group and wanted to ask their opinions on this album. And uh, my friend uh, JT said, I was second row center at Lakewood for this tour. I believe that was in the Atlanta area. Not my favorite Van Hagar album, but I prefer Sammy to David Lee Roth a million times over. My good friend Shane says, I love this album. 1991 was a huge year for Van Halen. It was probably them at the peak with Hagar. This was the only Hagar album that Ted Templeton co-produced, and you could tell. It was most Roth sounding of the four Hagar studio albums. I remember seeing them on this tour and they were on fire. I had seen them once before with OU81 tour and they were okay, but 1991 was their year. I listened to the CD many times and many times during the summer of 91. Top of the world, run around, pancake are still my on my regular playlist this day. Right now, video, which won video of the year, the MTV Awards was amazing, even if the song itself lacked a high octane punch as the other singles. In the years since, I would have to say I still listen to the 5150 album the most of the Hagar albums. The album was a solid number two for me, with the other two not coming close to either. But overall, I was never a big Van Halen fan than I was during the F-U-C-K era. It was great time to be a Van Halen fan. And he did follow up and saying, I will follow up and saying that I'm going to see the Hagar and Satriani on guitar tour. I'm specifically going to fly in to see the LA show at the forum because this is really the end of it. Sure. Hagar sings a few Van Halen songs on his solo tours, but this will likely be the last time we will hear all these songs played live. I've seen Hagar solo twice. He's okay live. He's 76 years old and slowing down. He's not a wreck like Roth, but for me, this is the final. I said the same about the Motley Crew last year. The stadium tour was the last time I planned to see them. They sounded terrible. Then all the drama with Mick Mars happened, and I think that's a wrap for me. Same story here. I'm looking forward to one last great hurrah to celebrate Van Halen. I'm glad Hagar is doing this. It's sad that none of the remaining van halens are involved but it what but 
he says, but it is what it is at this point. Um, I, I want to talk about his comments, Shane's comments there real quick. Mike, what do you think? You know, <clears throat> I think it's important to, about that, Sammy. I, you know, when I heard this, this tour announced, um, I was like, do I really want to go? You know, it, it's, it's such a, such a balance between, you know, and the Motley Crue thing is a great thing to think of. Motley, I've never seen Motley Crue after Girls, 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 right? Or no, I'm sorry, after Dr. Feelgood. So they will live on in my mind forever as Dr. Feelgood, right? Because I've right. never seen them. I've never seen them live since, and they're such a huge disappointment. So I just don't know if I'll go to see this. And I know they're coming near here. And, you know, it's that thing of, do I want to go see them and be disappointed? Or do I want to see them one last time and and say goodbye? You know, and, I, yeah. think the la- I think the latter, Mike, I think the latter of what you just said is probably the main reason for this, to be honest yeah. with you. And we'll yeah. get into more of that tour coming up in a little bit, but I did, I did want to just touch on this. Kyle, did you have any thoughts on Shane's comments? Because I thought that was pretty poignant. You know, I think the poignant part of that is, is that I hope before this tour gets going that there is some way for them – for Sammy and the surviving Van Halen's to find some peace. Cause if nothing else at the forum tour, Alex should be there. Wolfgang should be there. I mean, this, this yeah. he's doing this and I'm sure knowing some of the stuff I kind of figure, I'm kind of thinking Alex is probably thinking, Hey, Sammy's doing this for the money. He's not, he's doing it because he wants to say goodbye to Eddie and he wants to make sure that Eddie gets He's doing this because no one else did it. You know, yeah. I mean, look at look at everyone that look at the two big shows they did when um, the Foo Fighters drummer passed away. You know, mm-hmm. no one is putting together a big show or a big thing. He took it upon himself to do this, and we'll we'll, we'll touch on that in a minute here, guys. I want to uh, get to more of some of these uh, comments here. Uh, my friend Scott Harwin says, "Loved everything about this album. I remember listening to it while driving around Yellowstone. Great times." Uh, my friend Paul said, I'm a huge Van Halen fan, but not really with Sammy. I appreciate some of the stuff they've done and human beings not on this album uh, is one of my faves. This being said, I hated this album when it came out later. Some of the tunes grew on me, but Sammy always reminded me of Michael Bolton for some reason. Top of the world is the standout track to me nowadays. And speaking of uh, my friend, Johnny Carzai, as we, we both know, Actually, all three of us know. Uh, he says, it just wasn't what I was listening to at the time. It felt too tame for me, more like a heavy Michael Bolton album. He laughs with the laugh emoji. Over the years, I've come to love Sammy and appreciate him so much more now, especially his later solo stuff. Also, Pound Cake is the most overrated gimmicky Van Halen song of all time. Jackal did the power tool gimmick better. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Wow. Jackal reference. You know, I think that what he said was really was was what I was saying too was <clears throat> at that time I was I was on to completely different things and, and you know getting into the thrash metal, uh, getting into a lot harder stuff, and I think Van Halen was sort of like, oh, that's over here in this sort of pop metal kind of category where right. I'm listening to a lot harder stuff. So, yeah. so it, it, it didn't hit as much as I think it should have with me either because I was just on to different things. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting time, but I think it's been appreciated a lot more later, uh, especially probably for the older fans of Van Halen. I have a few more comments I did want to touch here. Oh, Kyle? I just wanted to comment. It might go down in history as one of the most interestingly timed albums of all time. Good point. We've made, we've made the case for it. I would agree. Real, real quick before you go on to that. I never could understand why they didn't have the have the the title vertically. Because it would, <laughs> it would have made more sense to have it vertically. That way you could see the F you right down that right yeah, down. Right. And, <laughs> censorship. Censorship. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like right along the side here or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Where you could see that. <laughs> like it, it, I never could understand that. I just I want to say I think the album look is fantastic. It's yeah. got this kind of red leathery scaly look to it. It pops, you know, when you see it, you're like, oh, I know what that is. And I also like the new Van uh, or the Van Hagar, as we say it, Van Halen logo, which I always thought was kind of cool. The, the wraparound look to it. I got a few more Facebook comments here. It says uh, my good friend Vince Stefanelli is a wonderful contributor to uh, the uh, hair metal podcast. Big fan myself. Uh, notorious uh, Bon Jovi uh, disliker. <laughs> he says, my thought is simple. Meh. He's not a fan. He says, except for Pound Cape, top tune. My friend Shan, who's been a guest on this show, we uh, recently covered the uh, Girls, Girls, Girls Motley Crue uh, album on an earlier episode of the Hair Metal Podcast. She goes, right now was good and impactful, but it had more to do with the video than the song. Interesting. I haven't, I've heard that before actually, Kyle, that the video itself was more impactful than the song. I think, I think that's a fair assessment. I think you, the video itself carried the impact because you had the visuals to go with it. I think if the song, it was just the song itself, it wouldn't have had the impact, but that's one of those things where you hit that perfect storm. You, yeah. you, you yeah. find the right song and pair it with the right thing. And then there you go. You've got magic. Yep. So let's talk about the tour real quick, guys. Uh, the tour for unlawful carnal knowledge tour um, it, uh, it was one of the band's longer tours dividing into 99 dates. It featured shows in Hawaii, Mexico, places Van Halen rarely played in their history. Sammy Hagar chose Allison Chains to be the opening act after, after seeing the music video for the hit single Man in a Box. And, uh, I thought this was interesting, Kyle, because this was the kind of, uh, entry into grunge and man, uh, Allison Chains right out of the bat was like, okay, we're here to stay and putting them on the opening tour, I thought was actually a pretty wise thing to do. Do you remember this? I do. I, honestly, this was a, this was one of the huge tours of that year. I mean, and then um, I'll, I'll personally say it. I think the concert album for, for this, for this tour is basically the Van Halen greatest hits. And it's a phenomenal concert, concert album. It's one of the best concert albums I've ever listened yep. to. And at the two Fresno shows, the band, as you mentioned, filmed and recorded material for the live double album right here, right now. And the li and live Van Halen right here, right now. Live also released on Laserdisc. Yay, Laserdisc and DVD. Promotion of these live works was the foundation for the band's next tour. Now, the tour included the song Jump in the Set List. Uh, the song uh, 1984 had been the band's... Uh, the the song from 1984 had been the band's only U.S. Hot 100 number one hit. And in this attempt to forget the band's past, Sammy Hagar had refused to sing it when he joined the band in 85. Now an established member in the lineup, he agreed to sing it more often. 
This tour also marked the first time that keyboards were not performed live on stage by Eddie Van Halen. Keyboard and piano parts uh, were performed off stage by Night Ranger guitarist Alan Fitzgerald. Did you know that, Mike? I did not know this. <laughs> I, did, I did not know at all. I, I, I did not know that at all, that there was a Night Ranger guy playing keyboards backstage. <laughs> I, I've always wondered, that's such a weird dynamic of being off stage. Ozzy has his has his piano player, keyboard player off stage as well. I never could understand that. Why they're not just on stage? What's yeah, the conversation? Like? Hey, listen, Kyle, you need no, you, wait. but stay off. But but you're not going to be on stage. <laughs> I know, Kyle. I want to address the jump aspect of this this tour. Yeah, this I was just going to bring that up. Sammy started playing jump during this tour. Go. I want your guys' opinion. Hearing Sammy perform it with because he is the better vocalist. I I I, I think that that. For, for me, he is between him and David Lee Roth. Again, it's so much, but I think Sammy is the better vocalist. I actually prefer Sammy Hagar's version of Jump. It might be sacrilege, but and, and I guess it also too how he how it ties in with the album. I think has a little bit to do with that because he starts playing it and he's just yelling out the crowd, "This is for you!" And then he goes right into it, and it's it just it's it really gets you up even that much higher. Plus, it's it how they perform. The performances and the musicianship on this album for a live concert is just phenomenal. You know, I will answer that and say, you know, that song has one of the most memorable intros with the uh, the keyboards that in, in music history. And it's so iconically Dave that every time I think of it, I can't. Man, Kyle, that's a tough question. I'd have to listen to Sammy uh, a little bit more play it. I remember he did play it when I saw them in concert, but it's just one of those things where like he did it well enough to where it was really, really good, but I'd have to listen to his version a little bit more to make an educated decision of that because that song is just so Dave. What do you think, uh, Mike? It's, it's a Dave song. I, I, I mean, Sammy's such a gifted singer. I've always thought that the best Dave era song that Sammy would sing was ain't talking about love, right? I think yeah. that's the best. I think that's the best one. It just fit him a little bit, a little bit better. That's a great point. Yeah. <clears throat> whereas, whereas, jump and some other things that he did, you really got me. It, those are just so iconically Dave that yeah. you can't, you just can't do it. I, I can't even imagine Sammy singing "Hot for Teacher." I, I, they probably never played it live with Sammy. <laughs> because there's certain songs that you just it, it it's just not gonna work with them. Yeah. Unchained well, I did works, but but there's other ones that just you can't you can't mess with Dave. Kyle, uh, I just want to say too on the right here right now al album, there are just some great cuts from from things Sammy said and things they did in the middle of the concert. Even Mike, even on the album, Michael Anthony gets a guitar bass. They give him a bass guitar solo too on the Jack Daniels bass. Yeah. Well, let's let's get into the first part of the tour, guys, in, uh, what was it, 91 here. So from August through December, this was the set list that they played. It was Pound Cake, Judgment Day, Spanked, Runaround, When It's Love, There's Only One Way to Rock, Sammy's Song, Bass Solo, Drum Solo, AFU Naturally Wired, Panama, Why Can't This Be Love, Finish What You Started, Eagles Fly, Hagar Tune, Guitar solo, best of both worlds. I can't drive 55, Hagar. The dream is over. 
Jump, you really got me. And they ended off with Top of the World. Now, changes a little bit in January through May of 92. Pound Cake, Judgment Day, Run Around, When It's Love, There's Only One Way to Rock, Bass Solo, Pleasure Dome, Drum Solo, Panama, Right Now, Why Can't This Be Love, Finish What You Started, Give uh, give to live, guitar solo, You Really Got Me, I Can't Drive 55, Best of Both Worlds, Top of the World, Jump, and The Dream is Over. Interesting last song there. It seems, uh, it seems and, like they're moving away from big time, away from the Dave songs. Would they have three three Dave songs in the second set list, you said? Yeah. They only yeah. have three Dave songs, so, but, so it seems like they're really moving away from that. But they had the strength of the Sammy Hagar era's yeah. Albums yeah. and songs yeah. to do that, and when you talked about this is a this you know this this era of Van Halen is a great summer band. Like half the songs on Fifty One Fifty are just great songs to listen to while you're driving, either yeah. the top down or the windows open, and it definitely feels that way. Right here, right now, tour guys. This was released, uh, and they had their tour from March ninety three through August ninety three. And the song list on this, I just want to write, uh, listen to these, list these off real quick. Disc one was Pound Cake, Judgment Day, When It's Love, Spanked, Ain't Talking About Love, In and Out, Dreams, Man on a Mission, Ultra Bass, Pleasure Dome, Drum Solo, Panama, Love Walks In and Run Around. And then on disc two, Right Now, One Way to Rock, Why Can't This Be Love, Give to Live. Finish what you started. Best of both worlds. 316. You really got me slash Cabo Wabo. Won't get fooled again. Jump in top of the world. I went out and bought this, guys. Did you get this album, Kyle? Yes, I. Oh, I most definitely got this album. This, yeah, this is this, 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 like I said, this, this album on its own is one of my all time favorite albums. I yeah, mean, it's, it, it, it's 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 so much fun. Like I said, the, the concert takes that they pull from it are amazing. There's there's one really great one with Sammy Hagar talking about how all the boys in the band were partying and he didn't know about it because and, and it was as he's going into right now and it's it's it, there's just some great takes in it. Um, every band member gets a moment in it too, which is great, and th- you can just hear the energy of the crowd. And on the album, they close out with "Top of the World" and it's. It's my favorite version on an album of Top of the World. What about you? Go ahead, Kyle. Sorry. I was just going to say, because the energy on it is even more so than just even the energy on the recording of it. Gotcha. What about you, Mike? Did you get this one too? I'm I'm going to swing the pendulum the other way. I am am a live album hater. Uh, And it's not just just Van Halen. It's not just this album. I just do not get live albums i don't know what it is i never could understand i I, I just it just never was me i i can't there's only a couple songs i can listen to that are live versions of songs and they'll come on the radio and i'll immediately turn off a live version of a a song i I just it's it's something about it it just never clicks with me i'm i'm always thinking why would why would i listen to this and not the the studio version unless it's unless it's remarkably different Unless it's a really, but I just never can understand listening to a live album. I don't know why that is. It just never My, really clicks with me. Okay, I got thoughts on that. Uh, but Kyle, you got something? I think with this album, because they were doing the recording the um, movie version of this at, at the same time, 
It's got oh, wait, wait, the what version? Uh, the the the, the, the concert video. Oh, this. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, the concert video of this. It's got some of the best sound quality I've ever heard on a live album. I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. I'm like, I'm with you, Mike. Most of the time, live there's live performances. I'm like, yeah, but this, this uh, one just sounds okay. amazing. A concert video, I'm in. I'm I'm totally in on a concert video. But listening right. to the concert to me, maybe it's a maybe it's a jealousy thing. Like I wish I was there. Yeah. Okay. I I got I got to chime in on here real quick. First of all, Mike, I think you and I were born as brothers and then separated because <laughs> I cannot stand live concert albums either. I bought this one though at a curiosity because I really wanted to hear these songs that were early Van Halen songs that Hagar didn't do. And I wanted to, to, to see it. And plus I saw the concert and I'll talk about that in a second, but I cannot stand hearing people cheering in a song that I want to listen to. Right, if right. find it the most annoying and one of my biggest issues with um, I want you to love me, or I want you to want me by Cheap Trick is it's always the live version that you hear. And I love that song, but I can't stand hearing people in the background going, yay, I want the studio bad. track. <laughs> I have to disagree with you on that one. On that one, I have to disagree with you. I want you to want me is better live. And so are the Peter Frampton songs, right? So it's funny you say that because Peter Frampton's live might be an exception. I will be, you know, be right there. But I love, for me, I just, I want it, I don't want to hear people singing it, but there's certain, there's a few live albums, I think, in history, you could say, okay, that is better than the studio album or it is. Right, right. But in general is what I'm talking about. I cannot stand live albums. So you and yeah. I are, are, are on that as well. Like I said, concert video, I'm totally in. Right, right. Well, that's what was cool. That what was cool about a lot of the hair metal uh, songs that we like was that they would release, um, but you would hear the studio track, not the live version, but they would be on tour singing the songs, you know, and they would be syncing up, of course, the studio track to the to the the live video, and that's what you know bands like um, uh, Cinderella and Bon Jovi did really, really well. They showed a lot of them in concert and made you want to go to it and stuff like that. Yeah. But this was the tour that I did see myself. I have a picture of our my ticket stub right there. And look who opened up for Van Halen. Vince Neal's band opened up for Van Halen. <laughs> it was a very good show. Really enjoyed it. And I remember specifically, and he probably said it more than once, that when it was time for... Uh, Sammy to put on a guitar, he says, to put on a guitar in this album, or excuse me, to put a guitar on while in this band, you got to have some big balls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, did you guys see this tour, Kyle? I did not see this tour. It did not make its way up to Alaska at the time. So. Okay. What about you, Mike? No, I would. I mean, I'm trying to think of the last time that I saw Van Halen. And I think the last time I saw Van Halen was on Monsters of Rock. Gotcha. Um, I don't okay. think I saw them after that. Um, it's just, you know, it's that time period of, you know, at this point I'm going to see Testament and Slayer and, you know, getting, getting into the harder stuff. Um, whether they came into that, I was at college in 91. So I was a broke college kid. I saw the ticket prices is $33. <laughs> uh, I, would, I would have not had 33 bucks in college. Gotcha. Well, I, uh, I this was my time to see um, Sammy Hagar, 
and I had uh, I was curious about him. I was, of course, a fan of this of this uh, these albums, and and they put on a great show. Uh, I did enjoy Vince Neil. He had a good band backing him up. That was fun too. But just seeing seeing uh, in Southern California, seeing this show in Southern California, it was kind of like a, a home show for them. A lot of the home fans were there, and it was it was a really good. I saw him at the Pacific Amphitheater. On August 28th, 1993. And this actually was one of the last shows of this particular tour before uh, I think they went on and did some stuff later on. So it was nice to see this this tour. And uh, it, it was just a great show. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Guys, any thoughts on the tour uh, of 5150 and the promotion of it before we get into Sammy's upcoming tour? No, I, just, I, just, I wish I would have seen it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. when you when you think about you know all those all those concerts that we missed, when you think, man, I really should have went out and saw that. You know? Yeah, and yeah. you know, life gets in the way, but you know, there's so many times where you think I should have seen that, I should have seen that. That's probably one that you, you know when when you think about Eddie being gone, you think nuts. I should have saw him a lot more than I did. Yeah, that is the question that does come up now. You know, these these people that are, are have passed away, you wish you had done that. And all I can say is to young people now is get a chance to see the artists that you like live at least once. And uh, there's still a lot of bands out there I've never seen that I want to see. One of them being I've never seen Judas Priest live. I, I need to see Judas Priest. Never, oh, wow. Never they, seen they them. So, they, they're amazing still. Still. Yeah. Yeah. So I did want to throw one little kind of Van Halen trivia out there uh, because I'm a big movie fan. Kyle and I cover movies extensively here on the Fandom Podcast Network. We have a podcast called um, Couch Potato Theater where we discuss one movie in detail. And uh, uh, sometimes we have fun with the anniversaries. You know, this movie's 30 years old, 40 years old. We, we pay attention to that. We also have a, a podcast called Time Warp where we look an entire year of movies and do individual podcasts about each separate months with all the pop culture and music thrown in between. But when I was going down a rabbit hole of Van Halen after he passed away, because we did do a tribute Van Halen podcast uh, when after he passed away, make sure you check that out in audio form on the network. I came across some trivia about a movie called The Wildlife. And for those of you that don't know, this is kind of a lost hidden gem um, that was a, uh, it was Technically, an unofficial sequel to Fast Times at Richmond High, and it was also since it was also written by Cameron Crowe, and uh, it was about a bunch of high school teens in Southern California, and it starred Chris Penn and Jenny Wright and Leah Thompson and Eric Stoltz, and it's kind of like this little hidden gem. But what's also interesting about this album is its soundtrack: Bananarama, Peter Case. Uh, Charlie Sexton, um, Andy Summers, three o'clock, Edward Van Halen. And the reason why I bring up Edward Van Halen was the soundtrack was composed and recorded by Eddie Van Halen. Only three future Van Halen songs ever came from the music in this movie. One is Good Enough from 1986 release 5150. The second is Right Now from the 1991 release of For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. The other, Blood and Fire, didn't appear until 2012's A Different Kind of Truth album. It's interesting how Eddie Van Halen holds on to things when he knows something is good. I highly recommend this movie. It is a great Southern California teens in high school. It is a great double bill with Fast Times at Richmond High. It is available on DVD. You can purchase it. 
And uh, for those of us that watch Near Dark, love Jenny Wright, wondered whatever happened to her, she has a, a good role in this. <laughs> what, um, what Mike, did you know about this? Did you know about this movie? No, I know. What year was that? I mean, I've, I've never, I don't even ever seen, think I've seen the came, It came out in, what was it, 84? Oh, I think it was. 84. Yeah, 84. Yeah, and we cool. will be discussing a little bit more because this year if, uh, of our Time Warp podcast, we're going to be looking at the movies of 1984 because next year in 2024, everything is going to be 40 years old. So uh, make sure you check it out. It's a, it's definitely a fun movie and it's got a great soundtrack. Even the other songs on there that, that uh, 80 cool. doesn't do. So yeah, check it out. Guys, so one of the things I want to discuss is this upcoming tour here with Sammy Hagar and the um, the band that he has backing him up. <laughs> Joe Satriani, Jason Bonham, and of course, Michael Anthony are going on the Sammy Hagar 2024 tour called The Best of All Worlds. Opening band is Loverboy. And as I said earlier, uh, Sammy was saying he was kind of upset that no one is doing, never, no one did a, a Van Halen tribute concert. Now, of course, this is his tour. He's getting these guys. It's almost, uh, um, and I want to ask you real quick, Mike, about the band's uh, um, Chicken Foot, which was basically everyone except for Jason Bonham because uh, they had Chad from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your thoughts on this upcoming tour? Do you think you might check it out? Yeah, I was looking at the dates. I think there's a Holmdel, New Jersey one, which is which is near me. It's about 40 minutes away. I don't think there's a Philly date, but I also think there's a Pittsburgh date. So I may check that out too, depending on where that is. Pittsburgh has one of the worst concert venues on the planet. Um, it's it called? Those, it's called, um, oh God, it's like Star Lake Pavilion. It's one of those words, the pavilion and then the lawn behind it, right? Uh, <laughs> but it's in the middle of yeah. It's, there's one way in and one way out and so hold up for the show but but i would like to see it depending on where it was um i mean satriani is the perfect one to do eddie i think um but at the same time it's like you know like i was saying before is do you want to see them do it and the whole time be thinking i wish it was eddie you know and and you're never going to have that of course but is it I just don't know how it's going to go. I think this is one of the things that I will probably do. I'll watch somebody's YouTube video on the concert and decide if it's something I want to see. Yeah. Kyle, what are your thoughts on Sammy Hagar uh, doing this tour to pay tribute to Eddie Van Halen and uh, bringing in these really talented musicians to do it? I think everybody's heart is in the right place on this. And I think there's a lot of people who will, very much enjoy this because it's kind of maybe their way to close the book a little bit on Van Halen, but not having Alex be part of this, not having Wolfgang be part of this is going to, I think you've got to have one of them be part of this at some point. And uh, because I don't think people will look at it as really official, even though Michael Anthony's there, Sammy's here, there it's not, you don't if you don't have a Van Halen in this, it's yeah. just not, quite the same i mean i i i know that the concert start is starting and actually in florida and the, one of the first shows is in tampa but it's in july in the tampa amphitheater which is an outdoor amphitheater in july in tampa to go see a concert outdoors <laughs> yeah 
Are you saying uh, you're no. getting old, Kyle? Because I feel you. <laughs> uh, uh, you, you. You thought the Raiders game we went to was bad by the end of the week. <laughs> yeah, that Tampa game. Well, yeah, you're right. The the tour starts in July of 2024. Um, goes through uh, Florida, then it goes through Georgia, and and this is all through July. You got Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, New York, Sarasota Springs, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio. Uh, Toronto, Ontario, and then August, you got uh, Michigan, Illinois, Las Vegas, Colorado, Washington, and then towards the end of the tour here in August, you've got Washington, several dates in California. Uh, you got uh, Wheatland, Concord, Los Angeles, uh, which is the 19th of August. I'm going to look at that one. It's, I might be interested in doing that one. Then it goes to Arizona, Texas, a couple of dates, and then um, Arkansas. Uh, there is some other dates of announced afterwards in Cincinnati, Nashville, uh, Indianapolis or Indiana and St. Louis as well. You know, I think, and also too, guys, I've been posting some stuff, some conflicting reports about, you know, and, and I think a lot of it might be clickbait. So I, Sammy, there's reports that he has invited Dave to join on some uh, songs and stuff like that, but not like be a full on member. And then there's some saying that, no, he hates, they hate each other. It's not going to happen. I think those are the more of the clickbait ones. I would personally would love it. If, if, um, uh, David came in and played with Sammy on some of these old ones. Uh, and you know, when it comes to Alex and Wolfgang, I think it might happen. I, I think Sammy is trying to kind of bury some hatchets here and kind of start a healing process. And I think that if he can get some of these people just to guest at some of these shows, I think it would really go a long way and just saying, let's put the bullshit aside and yeah. let's celebrate this wonderful musician and these songs. And that's why I'm seriously looking at going to this because I, I would love to see these guys play live. And I've seen Joe Satriani play live, uh, you know, Oh, he's um, phenomenal. Yeah, he's great. And I just, I think, this would just be a fun tour for fans. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I, I you know, a couple of things. I think you're right, Kyle. It, it doesn't feel like a Van Halen tribute because there's no Van Halen in it. There's, there's not one Van Halen in it, right? So I think that's it. The other thing is concert tickets prices are so ridiculous now. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, something like this, my wife and I would both want to go to. So you're so you're thinking, all right, it's three, it's already three hundred dollars, and we haven't even parked or got anything else, right? So, so yeah. something like this, it would really have to pull me in. And to be honest with you, it's it's a Sammy band. It's it's just Sammy Hagar, you know. Like I'm not paying money to see Michael Anthony. I'm sorry, Mike. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just not paying money to see him. Satriani, I would go see at a local show here at a at a one thousand seat place. Uh, so it it's just not it's just not hitting me in it's just not hitting me in all the right areas in in, in terms of I'm going to see Sammy just sing Van Halen songs and not want anybody else from Van Halen is going to be there. And, That's understandable. And I, don't think, I don't think I don't think there's any chance that Dave shows up to any of these. No, Dave's not going to show up. Let me ask you this though: How would you feel if Wolfgang was part of this whole tour? I'd be there. Yeah, was, I, I would if, be. If it was yeah. if it was Wolfgang, if it was Wolfgang, and let's say it's Wolfgang, I don't know how well Wolfgang can play those songs on guitar. Are you saying he's going to be the guitarist or the bass player? 
It can't I, be that I would think he, they'll probably have him do a little bit of both. Okay, so so let's just say it's Hagar, Anthony, Satriani, Wolfgang, and Alex. I, I'm I'm 100% there. You could not keep me away. If no, if no Alex, would you still be as interested? No, because because Wolfgang Wolfgang isn't as poor, isn't as important to me as Alex. Yeah, he's no. he's not because he wasn't there for all the. I mean, did Wolfgang do any major Van Halen songs or albums? I, and you know, like he wasn't really a part of that. So I mean, I would be more I would be more willing to go see it if it was if it was Sammy. If it was Sammy, Mike, Alex, and Satriani, I would go see it. I I I think that will I think we will see some guest spots by some uh, of whether it's Alex or um, Wolfgang. I I I'm an optimist though. I would love to see um, David Lee Roth come up there because I think that if he were to share a stage and sing. Uh, some of these original songs by Van Halen with Sammy right there, that would be huge. But you know Kevin, how huge that. Kevin, I, and, and if I was at that show, like, like, what if it happened in LA because it's an LA-based band? That would be huge, man. How cool would that be? It would. It would be amazing. It'd be unbelievably cool. But I think you answered your own question when you said Dave sharing a stage with Sammy. Dave has never shared a stage with anybody. I know. I know. I just, I hope, I hope that they're, that they can humble themselves and look at, you know, the person that they're celebrating that's no longer with them. That is the reason why they were in these bands in the first place. And I think that hopefully uh, fans that are split down the middle or one way or the other can kind of come go and man, that was pretty cool. Even if it just happens for one show that it's out there, we can see it on YouTube and share it and maybe talk about it. And hopefully maybe we can come back and discuss that. Maybe we'll see what happens. So, yeah, it would have just been better. It would have just been better if they would have just done a tribute show. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody yeah. 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 out, everybody out, did it at the Hollywood bowl, something like that somewhere in LA because they're an LA band and just brought everybody out. I mean, even throw Gary Sharona bone. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, let's wrap this up. This is the Hair Metal Podcast, and we, of course, have been discussing For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, 1991. And uh, let's just go ahead and start with you, Kyle, because you brought this to the table. This is an important album for Van Halen fans. It was an important album at the time. Give me your final thoughts on For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. Uh, I think For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge and everything that went around it is one of the apexes of van halen's career uh, career i mean again it's you almost have to look at it as two different bands van halen roth van halen's hagar this is definitely the apex of van halen hagar i honestly do believe from musicianship it is the apex for the band and i think that's because of sammy hagar and the freedom he gave eddie and alex to in their performances as well where you didn't have david and his antics kind of keeping some people down a little bit um, I think it's a revolutionary album that's in a unique time period where I think it was kind of the one of the last true hurrahs of that era of hair hair metal before we got into grunge and hip hop and gangster rap and everything like that. And it just it stands out in this unique time frame for, for an amazing music video for some great, great songs on the album for probably pop culture wise Van Halen's biggest awareness within within the pop culture and the lexicon at that time and 
I, I, I think in, in truth too, we've talked about it here. Van Halen is a band of the ages and it's, there's two different versions of it. And I think with the, with this album, it's the apex of one version and it's, it's a phenomenal, it's a phenomenal apex. It's a fun album in my opinion. And I just think it, it really cemented Van Halen as a legendary band of all time because they survived two different incarnations and were incredibly successful with both incarnations. Well said, Kyle. Mike, your final thoughts on For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. Yeah, I think, you know, when you when you think of Van Halen, it's always that Sam versus Dave thing. And, you know, this is this album is so polished and so well done. And the musicianship is so off the charts amazing. It's hard not to hold it at high standard. You know, I, I'm a big fan of things being raw in the sense of you hear that first Van Halen's album and you hear how hungry and raw they are. You don't hear that in this one. But that doesn't take away from it. It, it. It's because the songs and the hooks are so uh, are so catchy that you forget about it just not being that raw anymore. It, it's it's like when you when you're little and your mother makes you a hamburger and you think it's the best hamburger ever, and then as you grow up and you go out to have a gourmet hamburger and you say, no, this is the best hamburger ever. They're both still great hamburgers, but you look at them differently and, and and you can't ever say this is the best, you know, Dave, this is Dave is Sammy. It's sort of like arguing who's the best Saturday night live cast ever. It's just, <laughs> there's no, there's no right answer because they're all different. So, so this album is, you know, when I was listening to it, just when we started talking about this, I had my nose stuck up at it a little bit of thinking, nah, it's just doesn't hit. But then after listening to it for a while and you sort of, take away that feeling of it's not Dave, you get a new perspective of it. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, Kyle, <laughs> I have a confession to make. When you first brought this to uh, my attention, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'd love to talk about that album. But for whatever reason, I thought it came out in like 94 or 95. I got my years mixed up because it felt like it came out later until I started doing the uh, the research on it. I'm like, that's a 91 album. That's like the the end of hair metal, pretty much. 92, there was a few things. That genre was missing up, was starting to, to go away. Um, grunge was coming in. But it felt like this band with Hagar at the helm was kind of timeless in a way mm -hmm. with the sound. I mean, I felt like yeah. this was a late mid to late 90s album, right? Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's that's some of the genius of that particular album is is that it kind of crossed over and yes, it has. It, it doesn't metal. feel like an early '90s, you know, album at all. No, it it has some of that aspects of classic hair metal, but because of just their amazing music, where they were at, they were at such an apex as a musicians at this point that they were able to transcend. Yeah, just being in a time frame, and that's what I think that, that that's the thing about this album is this album almost feels like it could be reflective of almost, it could come out at any time and it would be yeah. reflective of it. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Uh, I wonder if, I wonder if you think oh, that kept because it's so, it sounds so different than eighties Van Halen. Yeah. It does. You, you're, you're, you're separating that, that era so much that you thought it came out later because it sounds so different. Yeah. That's why I was like, you know, and, and I hadn't listened to the album all the way through in quite a while. 
uh, I, you know, every now and then I would hear pound cake or, you know, top of the world or, you know, right now, but I was just like, this is 91. I'm like, wow. You know, I was still going to like other hair metal concerts at the time, you know, and, and of that era, as they say. And so, yeah, I just, uh, it's, it's a great album and Kyle, I appreciate you bringing that to the table. So we've been celebrating Van Halen for unlawful carnal knowledge. And of course, uh, we discussed the uh, upcoming Sammy Hagar tour. And we had a little discussion, of course, about uh, Sammy Hagar versus uh, David Lee Roth. Great, uh, great um, discussion there. And I want to thank everyone in the Hair Metal Podcast group for contributing to that. If you're listening to this, please check out the video. We've been putting up slides and showing pictures. And please subscribe uh, to the Fandom Podcast Network. Please share and also join our uh, Hair Metal Podcast fandom group. Uh, it's on Facebook. Make sure you check that out and check out the rest of the network too. We got a lot of fun stuff going there. Kyle, let's start with you, sir. How can we find you? Thank you so much for bringing this to the table. Appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you for letting me bring it to the table. And you, of course, you can find me all around the Fandom Podcast Network on all of our great shows and on the Fandom Podcast Network Facebook page. You can find me as Kyle Wagner on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on X slash Twitter slash whatever it'll be in in the coming weeks uh, at a kyle w um and you can find me on threads and instagram at a kyle fandom awesome mike thank you so much for first of all uh <laughs> making this early morning podcast after seeing kiss all night but uh thank you so much for uh discussing some van halen man uh where can we find you yeah you can find me on the fandom podcast as well you can find me on facebook as michael simmer um you can find me teaching um heavy metal all this week at my school it's it's heavy metal week at our school oh that is so awesome what are you touching on well we do the whole genre we do the last week was shock rock we did alice cooper and kiss which it just worked out that way nice. um, <laughs> so on monday the kids are going to want to see a bunch of pictures from the, the kiss concert um this week we go into it's a chronological store chronological curriculum and right now we're in the birth of heavy metal um, so I am trying to carry the torch I'm trying to carry the torch and expose these kids to, to metal. And every year, every year I turn at least two kids on the metal, which is I'm doing, I'm doing the, the, the Lord's work of, of exposing the kids to heavy metal that they've never had before. So hopefully turning new metal heads every day. You don't know how much I appreciate you doing that, man. Thank you so much. And uh, what's really cool, what's really cool about this is that they're going to remember this and whether they will show their appreciation now or later, they're going to remember you and they're going to go, I remember that band. I had this awesome teacher, blah, blah, blah. So well done. That's very I've run into them a concert. I've run into kids at concerts to say I'm here because of you, which there is you go. really cool. Yeah. Uh, again, for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge Van Halen. My name is Kevin Reitzel. You can find me on Twitter, now X, uh, also on Instagram and threads, at Spartan underscore Phoenix. And please, you can also check me out. Uh, you can find me in the um, uh, Hair Metal Podcast fandom group. I'm sharing a bunch of fun stuff there. And check out the network as well. Please uh, look at Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. And all of our audio podcasts can be found at fpnet.podbean.com. Kyle, thanks again, sir. Appreciate you. It's always good to be here. It's always fun to be on some hair metal. Um, rock on, man. Rock on. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I'm looking forward to our next podcast about drafting our 1989 supergroup. We'll talk more yeah, about that later. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs>
Uh, wait, wait, guys, uh, you're gonna have that draft. I, I can foresee it getting ugly when somebody takes a takes takes a musician a, a pick ahead of your your draft pick. It, yeah, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see who picks first. We'll have to figure out who does that. But yeah. uh, we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna have some fun with that, and I'm, I'm gonna put that out to the uh, hair metal podcast group and get their uh, super group thing. So. We'll talk more about that later. Again, thank you to Michael. Thank you to Kyle. I'm Kevin. Join us again next time here on the Fandom Podcast Network for the next episode of the Hair Metal Podcast where we'll tease our hair with Aquanet, slip on those tight ripped jeans, leather pants, or lip service attire, if you know you know, and rock out in that leather motorcycle jacket. Remember, every rose has its thorn, and on a steel horse we will ride. Hair Metal lives. Rock on, everyone. Thank <laughs> you.